Welcome to Economic Development Secrets, where economic developers from across the country spill their secrets to our host, Nicole D'Souza. You'll hear firsthand accounts from economic developers in the trenches, from what works to what doesn't work, how deals come together or how deals go bad. You'll hear everyone's economic development secrets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this month's episode of Economic Development Secrets. This month, I have Paul Sharon, a principal and economist with Impact Data Source, here with me. And we are doing a special episode today. Today, we are doing just a talk about different tricks and tips of economic development best practices. This spring, over the past two months, we have done 11 best practices summits all over different regions of Texas. We were in the Dallas Metroplex. We went up to the uh, Leveland, Lubbock area, down to Harlingen, Houston, all over the place. And uh, we, at each one, we had uh, some panelists of economic development professionals there who were telling us what they do in their communities. Um, and how uh, they uh, do different economic development activities. And just, it was a great time. Everyone was sharing their economic development wisdom. And um, I was really pleased with how they turned out. What did you think, Paul? Yeah, I think it was uh, really, really great. Uh, about a month or so, about, uh, just about five weeks, we, we kind of covered all 11 of these different events. And we had, I think, over... Uh, 200 folks that came out um, and attended these events. And that actually, I think, really uh, enriched everything. Like you said, we had these panelists that were um, somewhat leading the discussion with the panel discussion that you were that you were holding. Um, but then the the uh, attendees really kind of uh, jumped right in with questions and, and added uh, other other insights, too, as we kind of talked through some of these issues in each one of the regions. Um, and as you pointed out, you know, this was, we, we did 11 of these events in Texas. Um, and so there's, you know, in, in kind of what we're going to talk about today, there's probably some very specific uh, Texas type of items. But I think overall, there's a, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, interesting economic development, uh, you know, best practices throughout um, the, the, the discussion. So it's, uh, while there's definitely some good stuff in here for Texas economic developers, um, I think there's some really universal things too that um, I think uh, the audience can really, uh, you know, dig in on as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, the first thing we talked about during all of these panel discussions were strategic plans. And what I was really struck by, and I don't know if you felt this way too, Paul, was that there was no universal way for people to do strategic plans, to measure them, you know, the time periods, some have update them, you know, every three years, some haven't updated them in the last 20 years. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just been very, very all over the place. So we got um, a few different tips here and there. What are your thoughts on that, Paul? Yeah, you know, the one thing is just as you mentioned, you know, it's kind of uh, almost uh, a given, I guess, in, in some respects that you think that uh, all economic development organizations will have a strategic plan. And um, I forget exactly which session it was, but just as the one uh, panelist got finished saying, you know, uh, that, you know, if you if you care about your job, you know, you have to have an uh, economic development strategic plan. Um, 
otherwise I don't know how you'd operate. And then the next panelist said, well, <laughs> you know, uh, count me out here because we don't have uh, a strategic plan. So <laughs> it, it was interesting hearing um, not just the range in terms of, uh, you know, time periods or, or frequency that these get updated, um, but just the fact that even in some cases they didn't have an active or you know existing strategic plan. So, um, you know, we did hear, I think maybe the, the most standard, uh, you know, response, I think maybe was every five years that they would do an, or update their strategic plan every five years. A lot of people kind of got into this idea of, well, we have kind of a longer term plan, whether it's five years or 10 years, or whatever it is, um, but we do annual updates to it. Um, and so that was that was something pretty common. Um, uh, we, we did have some input there just that, you know, the maximum that you could reasonably do would be something like three years because you just need to have that amount of flexibility. Um, and the, the example there, I think, was um, down in Brownsville, how, uh, you know, you can you can have the perfect strategic you can get done finishing your perfect strategic plan. And then in their case, you know, Elon Musk with SpaceX shows up. Um, and and kind of, you know, bring something, you know, kind of from out, out of left field. And it wasn't something you were um, necessarily shooting for. But uh, as that opportunity uh, presents itself, it real, you realize that there's something there and it may be something you should focus on. Um, so I think that was, uh, you know, kind of to me, the, the big takeaway was this idea of, you know, having the, at least the ability, maybe having long term goals, but then break them up into shorter things uh, in, in smaller increments of, of one year or quarterly check-ins. One of the other things that I think we, we heard a lot was this idea of, of a, you know, well, we're, our organization is working with the city. And so there was this idea of just kind of latching on to being a component of a city's co comprehensive plan. So that economic development being just a component of that. Um, what is that? Is, is that what you were hearing too? Yeah, you know, I thought it was actually in Tyler that it first came up and um, they were talking about using the city comprehensive plan to well, you know, one panelist was talking about, you know, working with the city and the other was talking about how important it is having two separate plans here, a comprehensive plan and a strategic plan um, so that the two can really complement each other because at the end of the day, the comprehensive city comprehensive plan is supposed to be talking about different ordinances and policies citywide. And the strategic plan is really supposed to focus on economic growth. And, um, you know, it, the two are absolutely supposed to complement each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we heard um, we heard a lot of so we actually got into specifics about um, who uh, different communities were using. I, I I don't think, and you can correct me, but I don't think anybody really did these themselves, right? In house, yeah. or maybe some of them. I don't know if there was one person I think maybe mentioned it about you know actually you know taking on this task of doing a strategic plan themselves. I think most of them um, sought the help of outside consultants for it. Um, and we heard a, a good number of, of different names and, and folks, but the one that, you know, I think was mentioned almost every time um, was TIP strategies um, or TIP strategies out of Austin. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel like it definitely almost in every one of these, some one of the organizations had used uh, TIP in the past uh, to put together their strategic plan. Yeah, a couple other really good takeaways that we got in regards to strategic plans were that someone had mentioned using the strategic plan almost as a defense mechanism um, for yourself. 
so that when people ask you to lead or participate in other activities that really aren't your responsibility, you can almost, you know, show it to them because in economic development, I mean, you do pretty much everything. You never know what the job's going to be, you know, when you wake up and go in to the office. Yeah, I think the example they gave was uh, the having to do with the parade duties in the in the town, and that you know they were able to say no, that's that's not part of the economic development strategic plan. That's that's not one of our job duties or things that we're responsible for. So yeah. it was it was kind of funny, but I think it does have that um, uh, you know the point is there in the sense that you know it can really help you stay focused on on what it is you're trying to do and, and not get pulled a million different ways, as you know, um, you know, can kind of happen in economic development. Yeah, definitely. And then the last couple of things I have in regards to strategic plans that I thought are notable to mention, too, is that um, one of the panelists discussed um, discussing the strategic plan at every board meeting um, so that you're just constantly updating it and assessing your progress and mentioning it to your board uh, members and you yourself working on it. And the other person, too, kind of related to that, was saying that whenever you come to present a a plan, a prospective project to your board, always take the strategic strategic plan with you too, so that you can show your board exactly how this project um, fits into the strategic plan. And it also helps you to almost validate that incentive package if that's you know what you are trying to get the board to you know agree with you on. Yeah, I think that's when you when you break up these kind of big goals into smaller things and you're actually working on a project, being able to point out you know, how this particular project that we're discussing today moves us toward these goals that we've all, um, you know, agreed upon, you know, whether it was three years ago or whatever, um, I think is is really, really helpful. Um, I guess the final thing that I have on this, on strategic plans, was just um, in the high ground area, this is kind of the panhandle, um, and I, I suppose it may, the, the interest may be there in other parts of Texas too, but um, it was definitely in some of these smaller communities in, in the panhandle, um, just a real interest in, in you know wanting help with strategic plans but they didn't feel like they were in the position to afford you know a huge uh you know fifty thousand dollar plus strategic plan um and so you know they they kind of uh you know skip out on some of these things but it's it's you know but they're interested in it they just you know don't feel like they have um, the funds to to hit that so it's be interesting to see if maybe there are some um some other things they talked about um, the state or different university things possibly being a resource for them, but um, it may uh, may be an area that um, can can get helped out in the future. Yeah, definitely. Well, if that's all you have for strategic plans, um, the next thing we discussed um, at these panel discussions was business retention and expansion. Um, and in fact, while we were in Georgetown, Texas, just north of Austin, one of the panelists, Tim Chase from Hutto, uh, mentioned the following quote, the worst thing you can do is be introduced to a business owner when there's a problem, which I completely agree about that. Um, very wise words from Tim right there. Yeah, that was uh, a really good quote. I think that sentiment came through in some other uh, sessions that we had too, that, that you just wanted to be kind of uh, on the ground and aware of uh, what some of the concerns or challenges were with business. And certainly uh, before it gets to that point, you want to you wanna be able to help out where you can. Um, and kind of connected to that was this idea of, um, you know, trying to uh, focus your efforts. If, you have, if, if the town has hundreds or thousands of businesses, um, you know, 
being able to focus your efforts on maybe target industries or making some sort of uh, threshold of employment or square footage to try and hit the um, the kind of the, the the you know the biggest uh, existing businesses or the most important businesses first in that sense or having a tightest relationship with those. I thought that was um, an interesting thing, but but certainly being um, available to to any business or any uh, potential business person, I think is uh, was something that came through on all of these. Yeah, it certainly was. I um, notably remember in Temple, actually, that uh, Cynthia from Belton had mentioned that she focuses on a particular industry for a short period of time, you know, one month, two months, um, in order to just get a better snapshot of what that um, the different businesses in her community that are in that industry and what the industry as a whole looks like in her community. And I thought that was really neat to really get to pick up on those patterns inside her community. Yeah, yeah, definitely that kind of focus can help you kind of uh, connect some dots that you might not otherwise uh, be able to. Some of the, you know, the, the biggest things with the BRE, you know, I think everyone started, it, it happened, I mean, in probably more than half of the sessions where they discussed and attributed some percentage number, it was usually 80% or 75% where, where they said, you know, this, this very high percentage, 80% of the new job creation in your community is going to come from existing businesses. And so it's this kind of push and pull with, you know, BRE versus marketing and recruitment and that kind of thing. Um, and so, uh, you know, they're, kind of the emphasis there was, look, you know, you can't forget about the existing businesses. And that's where a lot of your local um, job growth is going to, going to, you know, stem from. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I remember even at the basic economic development course, I mean, one of the biggest stressors that they were telling us was that, you know, it's so much more expensive to recruit new companies rather than just taking care of your existing companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, so some of the other things just on my list that we, you know, that we heard, and, and these are some of the things that might be a little bit more well-known, but, you know, a lot of folks had, uh, you know, the industry uh, breakfasts or lunches where they, they would invite um, existing business owners uh, to kind of get together and, um, you know, ho hopefully uh, um, kind of get folks to connect that way. Sometimes they tried to mix, uh, I think some folks discussed kind of mixing industry groups to get some sort of, uh, synergy there as we kind of uh, cross some of those paths there with different local business owners. Um, one of the, and I think maybe this came up a couple times, but definitely um, in, in uh, one of our early sessions, we, we heard from uh, this idea of trying to bring together, you know, the, the head management at the local level or uh, even HR managers, um, bringing them together, you know, a group of, of from various businesses in the community, uh, maybe even connecting in college or workforce uh, folks to to come together and hear what the major concerns were of businesses. So, you know, that that sometimes, you know, the HR managers, you know, hold a lot of information that, um, you know, just having relationships with the HR managers can be really beneficial for uh, those BRE efforts. Yeah, definitely. And people were even stressing that when you go to do site visits um, to make sure that you visit with, you know, the HR managers and the plant managers alike. So basically, you know, I was saying visit with the different managers because that's how you're going to get the whole story. Because if you just talk mm -hmm. to one versus the other, you don't really know what exactly is happening. And that goes for recruitment, too, I guess, um, when you're talking to a project. So I guess this particular tidbit is you know, interchangeable between the two sides. 
And yeah, kind of connecting the the business retention and expansion with the recruitment um, and attraction. You know, one of the things we heard, uh, and this was it came up kind of in a couple different ways, but uh, specifically in Harlingen, I remember them uh, in the session in Harlingen talking about, um, you know, talking to the businesses about their supply chain and and the existing businesses in your community. Who are their big suppliers, or what are the pieces of uh, you know equipment or materials that they're always going out and they have to get in their case they were talking about well we got to go to you know we always have to go to San Antonio for this one type of screw or whatever it is well why don't we get um, you know that that company to uh, to kind of uh, locate a little bit closer and so um, even using that BRE to help drive some of that uh, uh, you know recruitment activity I thought that was uh, an interesting crossover as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's very smart of them, too, because definitely they'll have the leg up if someone is wanting to be near a supplier or wherever. One of the other things that I thought was just great, um, and actually Dan Bowman from Allen had shared this at our Dallas session, was having an HR advisory board of just the largest employers in you know their community getting together with a team of HR people and going as you know they're talking to different visits different small businesses in the area um, saying you know if they need that help to go talk to this board the um, just about anything HR related business related and on a side note I think that kind of uh, relates to, I'm not sure if this is a national program, but it absolutely is in Texas, the SCORE program of the, you know, retired executives, same thing. Mm -hmm. I know um, when I was a business retention person, that was one thing we always would sell to, you know, on different to small businesses, the idea of getting that, you know, one-on-one help from these top executives that are retired. Yeah, and I think they they talked too about this idea on and in some of those industry meetings was, you know, trying to get good content to to actually make it worth um, everyone's uh, time in coming out and to participate in those. I think the example was given that, um, you know, back when there were um, some new you know uh, regulations around healthcare and the the ACA, um, that uh, you know, they would have an expert on kind of the, that implementation at, at, for, for businesses and so forth um, so that they could provide them, you know, the local businesses with some, you know, just good information about um, some some new regulation that's coming on. And, and so, you know, like I say, to make it worth their while and coming out to, to those types of events where they can uh, meet with uh, meet with everyone else in the in the business community there. Yeah, definitely. Well, moving on to marketing and recruitment, I know this is, again, starting with another quote, but uh, John Clary in Leveland had said, um, everybody in your town is your marketing team, which I thought was really creative and cool. I hadn't heard of that one before. Yeah, and we heard it stressed in a couple different ways of, uh, you know, coming up in multiple ways of, uh, you know, talking about um, again, this idea of kind of using your existing uh, uh, businesses to, to, you know, hopefully say good things about you and, and you know, give you ideas for what type of, uh, you know, attraction and recruitment things you can uh, focus on. I think uh, we, we asked about, I guess, specifically, you were asking about kind of what kind of marketing everyone did. And I was, um, I guess I was a little surprised to hear, um, you know, that there was so folks i think generally speaking across the board um 
have, have over time <laughs> turned away from print, probably just like a lot of uh, advertisers in general. Um, I think uh, one of the one of the sessions that I had the quote that uh, print is worthless. Um, we did hear from <laughs> from enough people that you know maybe that's not exactly that it's completely worthless, but um, maybe maybe we could say worth less than in the past. Maybe, but I like that. <laughs> um, we, we saw yeah some some marketing um, in different regional organizations, uh, re regional magazines, and different things that um, there seemed to be some interest in still doing those. I think. Um, the overwhelming, you know, I think I, I have this written down, I think for every session is that everybody just said, you know, they stress the importance of a good website, uh, one that's easy to navigate and that you can include and that you make sure includes up to date uh, data and, and info on that. Um, I think everybody um, kind of understands as, as we had a quote, uh, and again, I can't remember exactly who it was from, but the idea that the, this, you know, folks are going to look you up online before they, you know, that's going to be their first interaction with you is that, but, you know, by, you know, maybe it's not even on your website, but they're going to be doing research about you online um, with some of the either data sources or other websites that they can find about your organization, or about your community. Um, and so having a good website out there is only going to help you and put you in a, a better position for that. Absolutely. Well, and one thing too that I thought was really neat was um, up in Sherman, they do, uh, they call it the President's Monthly Report, which gets distributed nationally. Um, I don't know how they got their list so large, but it goes out to all these different site selectors and, you know, real estate people at these businesses. And it just kind of goes over what is going on in Sherman today. What is the available space that they have? Because I think another thing we heard too was that it's so important to have land or spec space available because without it, you have no conversation. And so this president's monthly report kind of goes through that, goes through some of their BRE efforts of what just what's going on. And I thought that was a really neat and uh, unique way to market their, you know, their area with while they're giving, you know, some helpful little tidbits. And I, one of the one of the big things that I heard was this idea of kind of partnering up with your region or if you have a state level um, kind of marketing team and you can kind of get more bang for your buck that way and get out to some of the trade shows um, that are specific or, or that, are, that you otherwise, you know, would have had to put up big bucks for, but by kind of uh, going together with uh, another, uh, you know, a number of folks in your region. Um, and I think also kind of marketing from the region um, helps some of the communities that, you know, aren't, don't have quite the same name recognition or aren't as well known, I guess. I th it was uh, Fred uh, Welch in, uh, in Conroe who talked about, you know, when he talks to someone, you know, he'll, he'll say, you know, I'm from Texas, I'm from the Houston region. And if they, you know, if they really want to need to, need to know, you know, he'll get to the Conroe part, but it's really, you know, the people are going to identify with Texas. They're going to identify, oh, Houston area. I, you know, they know those things. Um, but then he can, you know, get into those details further into the conversation about the specifics and what makes Conroe such a, a great fit for that, uh, you know, for that particular project. Right. Well, and then we heard both sides of that too, with regions being a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah, that was, it was interesting to me to hear that because I, I had, you know, we had done a number of these sessions and it was, you know, everybody was talking about these great benefits of kind of, you know, uh, you know, we're, you know, we're just kind of outside of this larger region. And so that helps people kind of anchor and understand who they are. Um, but it was, it was really in our um, discussion, it was in New Braunfels, but the Adriana Cruz from San Marcos was, was talking about how 
um, you know, kind of working or having that connection with uh, the bigger region um, can be good and bad. And in her case, she was just commenting on how Austin, the city of Austin, and when people will talk about the metro region and, and get that confused as whether it's the city of Austin or the metro region and, and San Marcos, uh, just for a little geography, San Marcos is located just a little bit south, maybe 30 minutes south of Austin. Um, and it, it's definitely part of that uh, Austin uh, MSA or metro area um, that, you know, so many of the, the statistics about the, the growth of the Austin area uh, are talking about not just the city of Austin, but the, the region. And so San Marcos is a big part of that. And so uh, she was talking about how the city of Austin kind of casts such a large shadow and that people kind of lose uh, you know, lose perspective that, you know, San Marcos is in itself, it's its own town and has a different feel to Austin. Um, it has its own college. People talk about the university and they'll think, oh, well, University of Texas, but really there's uh, Texas State down there in uh, San Marcos. And so um, it was it was interesting to hear somewhat of, I guess it sounded a little bit like frustration in that trying to, to step out from that shadow of, of the larger region. Um, in some ways it can be good, but but uh, in, in that case with San Marcos, they, I think, uh, felt like they could stand on their own a little bit more than they do. Gosh, yeah, I guess you just have to find a balance. Well, another thing that I thought was really neat, um, another neat idea was actually shared in Houston, and I believe it's the Greater Houston Partnership who does this, but they bring in media from out of state to tour the community, um, and they just take them on a you know tour of the Houston area, show them the highlights, and then they let those media outlets go back to their states and areas and they basically market their you know, region for them. They go and they just sell the community because they're able to understand and share more about that area, which I thought was also very unique. Yeah, I think that was, I think that came up in Brownsville too with kind of, uh, it's a little, obviously it's a little bit longer, <laughs> longer term strategy here, but um, you know, being able to connect with uh, newspapers or media folks, um, so they have a, a, you know, at least a connection or a better understanding of what um, your community is like, um, you know, so that when it gets when when a story, you know, comes out. And I think this was the example with with maybe SpaceX. I'm not quite sure if that was the particular example, but, you know, this idea that, you know, they were able to, you know, provide a little more color on, you know, Brownsville and, and what it's like there in that case. Um, and so getting you know, I suppose kind words written about you and not necessarily because you wrote them and you paid to have them printed, um, but, but just based on some of these uh, more media-based, um, you know, interactions. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we talked about, you know, this idea of, you know, maybe a little bit of a, as we saw, a shift away from print from compared to in, in the past, um, a focus on websites. But I think um, we we heard it in, in a couple different ways or iterations was that this, uh, you know, preference for a shotgun approach of uh, kind of do do some of everything because you never know what's really going to, you know, what's going to hit or, or, you know, it's going to be an accumulation maybe of of multiple things that folks see or, or hear about. And so that ultimately this idea of the shotgun approach that there's no silver bullet that when it comes to this marketing. Um, and so just uh, doing as many things as possible um, will, uh, you know, will be to your benefit. One of the one of the final things I'll say about the this idea of the marketing and everything was I, I was surprised um, that at least of the the folks that we talked to throughout these uh, these different sessions um, was that not many of the organizations used or went outside 
um, and got outside help on marketing and, and PR. I guess in some cases we did hear that they did, they did that, or maybe uh, in one case they talked about um, getting some, uh, you know, pay per click and, and some kind of uh, website optimization stuff. Uh, but in general, I think it sounded like a lot of the ED organizations were not getting outside help with their their marketing strategy and so forth. And um, a lot of times the as they said, the ads and the copy would be generated in house, um, you know, by the EDU team or by pulling in maybe some help from uh, from the city departments that might be able to kind of uh, help out with some of that uh, creative content stuff. But, um, you know, just in, in general for me and kind of going to uh, some of the trade shows, so, so going to IEDC each year and seeing uh, the different types of organizations that are in the in the uh, in the exhibit hall and stuff, I, I kind of had a an impression that maybe more ED organizations were using um, some of these marketing companies. And quite honestly, from what we heard, um, it, it wasn't, uh, wasn't as uh, prevalent as I thought. Yeah, I was very surprised by that as well. Thanks for listening to this first episode of our two-part Economic Development Secrets special this month, featuring a roundup of all of our Economic Development Best Practices Summits. Be sure to tune in to part two. Economic Development Secrets is brought to you by Impact Dashboard, the only impact software built for economic developers. For more information on this podcast or to listen to past episodes, check out www.impactdatasource.com.